Uh, if you're new to Verde Valley Christian Church, my name's Doug. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my extreme pleasure to get to share with you this morning. I will say, as much of an extreme pleasure it is, it's also um, interesting challenge in that, uh, which I think anybody that teaches God's Word would tell you that um, a lot of conviction comes with the truths that you, that you read into and the things that you're studying about. It seems like that, uh, you know, especially when we're talking about a series, When the Devil Knocks, uh, today's, today's title is The Accuser. And, and uh, I've had some accusations come my way through the enemy this week, so it's, uh, it's appropriate, I think, that I'm talking about that this morning. So anyway, this is part two of a three-part series uh, called When the Devil Knocks. Last week we looked at uh, Satan as the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Uh, next week, we'll look at Satan as the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. And again, the title for today is uh, uh, Satan the Accuser. And the focus for today is this. Satan is the accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. Satan, our enemy, also known as Lucifer, the deceiver, the destroyer, the accuser, father of lies, Prince of Darkness, and several other aliases. 35 times in the New Testament, we see the Greek, the Greek word diabolos, uh, which translates accuser, slander, the adversary. And I don't think it can be overstated the importance for us to understand that we're in a spiritual battle. It would not be wise to not understand that the battle is real. We're in a spiritual battle. There's a battle going on right now in realms that we cannot see for the souls of men. Okay? And I don't just mean men, I mean mankind. So that battle is happening. So we need to understand that there's a battle. It tells us in, in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes the words, uh, if you want to bring that next slide up, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the, heavenly in the heavenly places. There are two kingdoms that exist, and there are only two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom of light, life, and love, and there's Satan's kingdom of darkness, death, and destruction. There is no third kingdom. Every man and woman alive today still breathing is in one of those two kingdoms. There's no third choice. And the reason that I bring that up is the fact that Satan's targets are those that are in God's kingdom. He doesn't hurl accusations against folks that are in his kingdom, even if they're in his kingdom by default. So his kingdom is a, is a default kingdom. Um, personally, I've never met anybody in my life that have said, I serve the devil. I'm one of his servants. I'm in the kingdom of darkness. But I've met a lot of people that said, well, I can't really, I've really not made a decision for Christ, and so I don't really know if that's true or not. Those people are by default in the kingdom of darkness. There's only two kingdoms. There's no gray area. It's black or white. So, um, so again, people that are in God's kingdom are targets for the enemy, for Satan. Paul tells us in the book of Colossians that he, speaking of God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That speaks of that, the thing that happens in someone who professes faith in Christ when they, they're rescued from the kingdom of darkness and set into the kingdom of life, okay? So we are in a spiritual battle. We do have a very real enemy. And it's not about will he attack, 
because he's gonna attack you if you're in God's kingdom. We are under attack. It is, however, a unique battle in the fact that we fight from a position of victory. Christ has already accomplished the victory there at the cross. So if you've confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're walking with him, then, and this might be news to you, if, if you're in that position, walking with Christ in a relationship with him, Satan has a plan for your life. Did you know that? That Satan has a will for your life. And that will, and I don't mean to sound harsh, but his will for your life is to drag you to hell with him. That's his plan for you, okay? And it's a very real will that the enemy has over us. Now, the only hope that Satan has, because he's already a defeated foe, the only hope that he has is that he can get a foothold in our life through accusations, through lies, through deceptions, and through counterfeit pleasures. He hopes to be able to get a foothold in our lives so that he can stumble us and possibly try to wreck or shipwreck our faith. It tells us in Revelation 12, 10, I think we have that scripture. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. Satan will continue his plan of accusations, lies, deceptions, and evil schemes until that day he's cast into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 talks about that day. That will be the end of his accusations, but not until then. He's going to wage war, even though he's operating on what's called usurped power. He has no power. He's impotent in that, and yet he's still operating as if he has power. He's been defeated. He's a defeated foe. So, Wow, that's some heavy stuff. You're probably thinking, oh, glad I came today to hear this stuff. But, but we would be doing you a disservice to not talk to you about these spiritual realities. These are spiritual realities that you need to be aware of in your life. So let me try to lighten it up a little bit with an illustration. Have you ever made a bad choice? Have you ever gotten off the path, uh, done something foolish, and your mistake went public? Everybody was watching as you acted foolish and thought, they'll never accept me back into the flock. They saw my foolish behavior. And Satan says, and you call yourself one of the sheep? How could you act like that? Scripture says we all like sheep have gone astray. So here's a video demonstrating this. Make sure you check out the other sheep watching. <laughs> Anybody ever felt like that, been in that situation? Everybody's watching. You're doing something foolish and whoa, trying to get out of there. So you can go ahead and cut that video. <laughs> you can go ahead, go ahead, yeah, yeah. It's funny, I, trust me, my wife and I watched that 150 times and we laughed harder every time we watched it. But, um, so back, back to Sirius. Um, I want to share a little bit of a story about, about this very thing happening in my life. The first four or five months of this year, uh, I experienced a season of perhaps the most intense spiritual warfare that I've ever experienced in my 35 years as a believer. There were words spoken and written by someone who was close to me that brought Satan's accusations to my heart. 
And during that time, I had a lot of dark days. I mean, I was struggling with, with the accusations, and it was really, it was really a difficult time. And, and even though I've always understood, uh, since I was a young believer, I always understood that, that, that I had an enemy that, that, that wanted to mess with me, uh, boy, this, this situation really heightened my awareness of Satan's schemes and his, his accusations. And so early in that process, uh, I made some notes that I stuck in my phone, uh, and it was from one of Jim's sermons. Uh, and, and during that time, I had to look at those notes frequently as those accusations would come my way. And the first note said, the people that know me the best love and respect me the most. I was being slandered, and, and, and so the people that know me the best love and respect me the most. And then, even more importantly, the second thing that I looked at, the second note that I made is this, Jesus knows me the best, and what he says about me as his child matters the most. What he says about me matters the most. I think of the old sticks and stones will break your bones, but words won't ever hurt you. Yeah, words will hurt you, but what matters is what Jesus says about it. So the things that sustained me through that period are, are many of the things that we're going to talk about this morning, but, but spending time in God's word, you know, reading God's truths and promises and, and my community, my small group, that carried me through. Those people prayed for me and helped me through that, that, that process and, and drawing near to God and, and staying close to him in that area of protection when we're close to God. And so that's what sustained me through the battle. So uh, again, the focus for this morning, Satan is the accuser who attacks our hearts with accusations. Let's jump right into the outline. If you take notes, pull out your outline. We'll look at point number one, which is this. The accuser's plan is identity amnesia. The accuser's plan is identity amnesia. Satan knows your name, but he chooses to call you by your sin. Okay? He knows your name, but he chooses to call you by your sin. He has a plan especially designed for you. He's got an individual plan for whoever you are, for George and Mike and Bill and Sue. He's got a plan for them. And he knows what your strengths are, and he knows what your weaknesses are. And lest you think he'll only attack you with your weaknesses, trust me, he'll attack you with your strengths also. And he'll allow you to get puffed up with your pride in something you think you're strong in and use that to attack you. He doesn't refer to you as God's child, but instead he hurls accusations at you, calling you, a, you're a sinner, you're a liar, you're a cheat, you're a gossip, you're a thief, you're a murderer. Some of those things are probably true if we think about really, really who we are apart from Christ. And then once he calls you those, those, hurls those accusations, he adds an indictment on top of that. He says, and you call yourself a Christian? You call yourself God's child? Look at the way you're acting. You're not acting like you belong to God. You're not acting like you care what God's word says about the things that we should be doing. Now, it's not easy to, to to see Satan's plan when we're in the midst of it. Jim shared last week that, that the, the problem with of being deceived is you're deceived about your deception. You don't know you're deceived. And so, so it's a little bit difficult, but, but if you've been through it and standing back, you can see that really the accuser has two parts to his plan. It's a two-part plan, okay? And the first part is this. Before you sin, he whispers, there's no consequences to your sin. What's the big deal? 
Everybody's doing it. God wants you to be happy. Okay, go ahead. You're not going to get caught. Everybody's doing it. Go ahead. So that's the first plan, okay? And then the second part of the plan works like this. After you sin, then he throws the accusations at you. You're worthless. How could you say you love God? You are, you should be ashamed of yourself. Your life is ruined. You're pathetic. He throws those accusations at you. God will never forgive you. I told you he would leave you. I told you he would forsake you. You're not God's child. You're a loser. And so Satan's scheme is to get us to focus on our sin and our failures instead of on God's provision for our redemption and our life in him. He tries to get us to forget. Satan does not try to convince people there's no God, believers that there's no God. He doesn't do that. That's a waste of his time. But what he does try to convince us of is that God's not who he said he is, that he's not going to come through for us, that he's not going to do the things that he's promised to do for us. So his plan, again, he wants us to forget who we are in Christ Jesus, identity amnesia. Now, we're going to look at a, a really cool part of Scripture out of the book of Zechariah. And I want to set this up for you. This is a, uh, this is a, Zechariah's having a vision in this book. It's a book filled with prophecy. And, and uh, we're going to look at chapter three. And, and just to set it up for you so you'll know what, what it's kind of talking about jumping in here is there's a, a three different characters in, this, in this, these verses. The first one is the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is Jesus. Uh, now, I don't know from theological terms. I'm not sure if, since it's a vision, if that's actually a theophany. A theophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. But nonetheless, the angel of the Lord talked about here is, is Jesus himself, God. And he's sitting as the judge. This is a legal setting. It's set in a courtroom. That's the picture of this. So it's sitting in the courtroom. So we have Jesus as the judge, the angel of the Lord. We have Joshua, the high priest, who's the defendant. And we have Satan, who's the prosecutor, who's the accuser, okay, in Zechariah 3. And verses 1 through 3 say this. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed in filthy garments, Satan's accusations in this, we have to, by context, we assume that, that, that Satan is there. He, sees, he knows what's going on. He sees Joshua standing in filthy garments before a holy judge, okay? And so he's bringing an accusation based on Joshua from, from how Joshua presents, not who Joshua is in Christ, okay? That's what he's bringing this for. So you can imagine, if you were Joshua, uh, he, no doubt feeling guilty and no doubt being ashamed because he's, he's standing before the, the holy God in filthy garments. And these, I won't get into the specific about the filthy garments, but these are defiled garments. You know, these, are, these aren't, this isn't just you need a shower and you're, you need to change clothes. These are filthy garments, okay? So he's ashamed. He feels unworthy. And the accuser, no doubt, is hurling accusations his way, saying, your robes are filthy, who do you think you are? And so, and, and here's the thing. It's true. This accusation is true. Those filthy robes have no place before a holy God. And yet Satan's making his accusations 
upon Joshua apart from who Joshua is in Christ Jesus. So, and so what, what the accuser is doing here is the same thing he's trying to do in our lives. He's trying to make us forget who we are, what our standing is in Christ Jesus, what our position is as one of God's child. Identity amnesia, he tries to make us forget, to forget our position and our privilege as God's children, to focus on our sin, to focus on our failures, to say, look at your life practically. You're failing, you know? And, and instead of, of who God is and what his provision is in our life and the fact that, that we have his righteousness, positionally in Christ, we are holy in Christ. So uh, he's made the way so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. So it's a change of focus. Satan's trying to get us to forget who we are in Christ Jesus. Let's jump to point two on your outline and we'll finish the story. Point two is Jesus, our advocate, is our only defense and sure victory. And we see this in, 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 this, in this passage of Zechariah, that Jesus is our advocate and is, he is our only defense and our sure victory. It tells us in 1 John, I think we have that on the screen, uh, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This term advocate, this title advocate that's assigned to Jesus here, it's a legal term and it, it, the meaning of it is, is being called to one side to aid and assist with their defense. That's what an advocate does. So Jesus, again, as that last statement said, Jesus is our advocate and he's our only defense and he's our only sure victory. And let's look at the rest of the story in Zechariah as we see this finish out as Jesus our advocate delivers Joshua's defense. It says in verses four through seven of Zechariah three, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments and the angel of the Lord was standing by, and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. So we see Jesus, our advocate, defending Joshua, stating what Joshua's position was in him, stating the true identity of who Joshua was. So Satan hurls his accusations and Jesus states the truth which brings uh, victory. And he establishes that true identity. Here's the thing that we saw in those verses going back from verse 1 through verse 7. We won't go back there but here's the thing it says and listen to this. First he tells us in verse 2, Joshua you're chosen. I chose you Joshua. Then he says I've forgiven you in verse 4. Okay. Then he says you're clothed in my righteousness. I'm going to put those clean vestments on you. You're clothed in my righteousness. And he also says, and this, this, I'll be honest with you, I've read this verse, I mean, I've read these things many, many times. I never got this. I never got this. And this is amazing to me. He also says, you have access to my presence, unencumbered access to my presence, Joshua, and sure victory as you walk in my ways. That's God's plan for our redemption. All right there. In a book that was written 550 years before Christ went to the cross, it describes our redemption. It describes who we are in Christ. 
So the defense for Joshua was to profoundly and yet simply state who he was in Christ, what he had in Christ. And so that amazes me. First, it amazes me that God loves us that much, that he would shower his grace upon us because we too are clothed in filthy garments if we think about that part. So Satan's accusations can be very real in that. But we can't allow him to rob our identity and pull our eyes away from who we are in Christ Jesus. So that's the story. That's the defense. So we have to ask the question and, and, and move to the next point of, of when we failed, and we're all going to fail, we're all going to continue to to do boneheaded things like the sheep in the, in the, I just wondered, did somebody put him in that or did he just stick his head in there? But anyway, we're all going to do things like that in our life. And so, uh, and so we must learn to have discernment uh, between Satan's accusations and the Holy Spirit's convictions. They're two very different things. Hebrews 5.14 says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So discernment takes practice to discern between what Satan brings into our lives and what God's Holy Spirit brings into our life. Here's the primary difference. There's a big glaring difference between the two. And this is it. God's Spirit's conviction never, ever brings condemnation for those who are his children. God does not bring condemnation to his children. It tells us in Romans 8, the first couple of verses, there is now therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Okay? Satan's accusations, on the other hand, almost always bring condemnation. Okay? They bring guilt. They bring shame. They drive us away from God as he attempts to make us forget who we are, what our standing in Christ is. The conviction of God's Spirit, on the other hand, moves us towards repentance and restoration. It brings forgiveness and hope. And I know you've heard this a million times, but this is the key. It moves us closer and closer to where God wants us to be. And that's a safe place to be. It moves us closer and cl closer to God's will and purpose of his, uh, uh, for our lives. And so uh, his amazing grace is there as we move closer and closer to him. So um, question and a challenge for you this morning. I, I like to, uh, whenever, I, whenever I study God's word, I generally always have some conviction from something that comes along. That's God's spirit saying, hey, Doug, that, that's, that's really something that you should maybe pay a little more attention to, or this is really something that you need to work on. So, so I like to share that with all of you since, since I want you all to feel convicted too to some sort, you know, a good kind of conviction. Um, but a, a challenge for us this morning, and, and I think this is a challenge that each one of us will face every day until we take our last breath and step into eternity, okay? This is the challenge, and this is the question. What can we do to close the gap between who we are as Christ's children and how that's demonstrated in our lives. What can we do to close the gap on who we are as Christ's children and how we demonstrate that in our lives? Who we are positionally, positionally, we're covenant children 
of the one and only God. But how are we demonstrating that practically? What are we doing in our lives to demonstrate that practically? What can we do to stand strong against the accusations of the enemy? And I came up with five, five points. I know you're not supposed to have a two-point outline and then five points at the end, but, but oh well, we do. Uh, and I've got three minutes to finish these five points. So these are five things that, I've, uh, I've, that are from God's Word, first and foremost and most importantly, but five things that I've done in my life and especially during that time of difficulty uh, the first part of this year. So here's, here's five things. The first thing is to draw near. James 4.8 talks about drawing near to God and he'll draw near to us. Again, to help us move closer to where God wants us to be. And when we do that, we can have victory over Satan's accusations. The closer we get to God, the more victory we can have, the better we can know our Heavenly Father. So that's number one. Number two, grow in your knowledge and understanding of his truths and promises. Psalm 119, 9 through 16 talks about that. And, and knowing God's word is critical in your discernment of good and evil. We have to know his truths and promises. A quote by Dwight Moody says this, the best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or to spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it. That's how we know truth. If we need to know God's word well enough to know that it's the straight stick and anything else that comes in our life will identify whether this is true or not. Okay, so we need to, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of that. Number three that comes from Zechariah 3 there, we need to walk in his ways. We need to walk in his ways. We need to choose a life of obedience because obedience keeps us on the path and it keeps us receptive to his Holy Spirit's convictions. I want God's Spirit to bring convictions into my life. I need those corrections. I need that direction. Okay, so, so uh, a life of obedience brings that. Number four, remind yourself daily who you are as Christ's child and demonstrate it with your life. I don't know if you remember back when we did the, ser the sermon series on the prayer challenge. One of the things that, that I use uh, frequently is at the end of that, the first edition even, I, I, I don't know if it's still on there, but the first edition, it had a bunch of, of proclamations of who we are in Christ, you know? And, and those things... Uh, make us think about that, who we are in Christ. And, and in fact, I began reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, that talk about uh, we have every spiritual blessing and we've been adopted, we've been sealed with this Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, it's who we are. It's our, it's our position in Christ. And I've made a decision in my life, and I would recommend it highly. If you start every day with reminding yourself who you are in Christ, it sets the tone for your behaviors and your actions. And it comes down to this. If you're God's child, then you should act like it. Your behavior sh should reflect that. And number five is accountability or community. I'll tell you, without my small group and without the people I choose to surround myself with in my life, uh, that season would have been very, very difficult. I need people in my life. I need people to hold me accountable. I need people's counsel. I need those things in my life. And so uh, the community that's found in small groups and close relationships is key in standing strong against the accusations of the enemy and leaving a life that's pleasing to the Lord. You know, you saw the commercial on GroupLink. I'll do another commercial. If you're not involved in a small group, boy, get in a small group. Get in a small group. Sign up for that and get involved in that and, and, and find the, 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 not just, you're not just going to go there to get convicted. You're going to go there to, to, to meet some really cool people, to speak into their life. They can speak in your life. It's just a great, 
a great thing to do. So that's the five of those things. So let's end with this. So when, when, not if, accusations come, and let's bring up that last slide. Remember who you are in Christ and his provision for you. The things that we saw in Zechariah 3, the things that we see woven throughout scripture as we, as we see God's plan of redemption for us and his love for us. And remember that you're chosen, that you're forgiven, that you're clothed in his righteousness, that you have access, unfettered access to his presence, and we can have sure victory as we walk in his ways. And I'll remind you one more time, we fight this battle from a position of victory. We've already got the victory. Don't let the enemy defeat you. Stand strong in Christ's power, his provision, and his victory. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for Christ and his cross and all that he's done to make it possible for us to be set back in right relationship with you, to make, us, to make it possible that your spirit would indwell us. Father, we thank you that you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that you've fully equipped us to walk with you in a way that would be pleasing to you. Father, we pray and confess that uh, we need your strength, we need your leading, we need your guiding, we need your conviction each day um, to live lives that are, are pleasing to you. So uh, we invite you to uh, have control of our lives. We yield our will to you, uh, surrendered and, and knowing that... Uh, in your strength, we can be strong. Father, we love you. We thank you for your victory in Jesus' name. Amen.